Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Park Lawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. And so today I'm entitling this message, Men of the Spirit. It's for all of us to be people of the Spirit, but on this day especially, I'm entitling it Men of the Spirit. Now, at the 8 o'clock service, I expressed this as well, that I feel a certain kind of way today. There are certain uh, key events in the uh, church calendar that include Christmas, Easter, Mother's Day. And um, for those of you who, are, who have been here for the last three months, you know that our church put, to, put in place a succession plan for the spring of 2020 in which the uh, this church will be electing its next senior pastor and uh, the person that I and the elders have appointed for you to uh, to vote on is Elder Marcus Arrington whom you all have been blessed as our service leader with this morning Uh, and so this is yeah we can praise God for him and salute him so I feel a certain kind of way because this is my last Father's Day as the senior pastor, although it won't be my last Father's Day at Park Lawn, as uh, Lady Judy and I will still be si- serving in the leadership, serving Elder Marcus as, uh, and Crystal as pastors. Some churches call it a pastor emeritus. I have to often do this because I encounter people and say, are you retiring? It's not a retirement, it's a repositioning in which I'll still be serving this church and serving the body of Christ in our community and serving our community uh, in an apostolic role. As again, some churches call it a pastor emeritus. And uh, so I feel a certain kind of way as a result of that. Uh, but I, I, um, I, I think Jesus could identify with my emotions because the last message that Jesus gave his disciples was that they needed to wait in Jerusalem for 10 days until they receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Our final messages are so important. And I feel that way about the men and the brothers and the fathers who are here today that, listen, men, on this Father's Day, God has a promise for us that I don't want you to miss. So stay in that position until you receive it because he's called us up today to be men of the Spirit. I want to take you back to the beginning of the book of Genesis. Because it's there in the book of Genesis that we get the foundation and the formation of our calling to be men of the spirit. Genesis 2, 4 through 8 gives us a reaccount of the creation of the heavens and the earth when the Lord made the earth and the heavens. Verse 5 says, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. 
for the Lord had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. How many of you know you need rain? The farmers, they love the rain. Not too much of it, but enough of it so that the crops come up. God had not yet sent rain, so nothing was really sprouting and green and growing. And there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Now the Lord God planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man that he had formed on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground, but streams came up. It's important for us to understand that God created us to live in a constant state of his presence. In other words, to be saturated by his presence. And Adam did not become fully alive until he received the breath. The Ruach, Hebrew says, the Ruach is the spirit, the breath of God. The Greek calls it the, the pneuma. We don't fully become alive until we become men of the spirit. God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and Adam became a living soul. This text gives us a recreation of the creation narrative, in which in Genesis chapter 1, God, one God, manifested in three parts, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, mutually participated in the creation. The Father willed and loved for there to be creation and for there to be uh, an expression of who he was. And the word, the Son, spoke, let there be light, let there be sun, let there be moon, and whatever he spoke, it came into existence. And then the Spirit, the third person of the triune Godhead, the Trinity, the Spirit, then began to move upon the face of the water. That powerful, that force of God moved where there was chaos, where there was formless and darkness and void, and he brought about the will of what the Son spoke and the, and the will of what the Father had in his heart. Now, whatever Jesus spoke to, in essence, in chapter 1, verse 11, he spoke to the land, and out of the land there came vegetables and plants and, and, and grass and flowers and herbs and vines and trees. Whatever God spoke to, out of what he spoke to, life came. He spoke to the land and plants came. He spoke to the water and fish began swimming. Every kind of fish you can imagine. He spoke to the sky and birds began to fly in the sky. He spoke again to the land, and animals came out of the ground. And everything that he spoke to had to remain attached to what it came out of. If you take one of the plants and pluck it up out of the ground or cut some flowers, those flowers begin to die unless they remain attached to what they came out of. The fish, if you take them out of the water, that's what they came, that's what they were, were born out of. If you take them out of the water, put them on the land, they begin to die. They weren't made to live apart from what they came out of. Same thing with the birds in the air. If they start walking around here on the ground and cease flying, they're going to become a meal, right? KFC for some predator. If you take a cow and take it off of the land, that it came from, if it stops eating the green grass and the, and the yellow hay and you put it in the water, it's not designed to live in the water, it's designed to live off the land. 
Whatever he spoke to, it came, something came out of it, and in order for it to live, it has to remain attached to that. But in Genesis 1.26, God said to himself, let us make man in our image. God spoke to himself, and so out of God, out of the spirit whom God is, mankind was created. And in Genesis 2 and 7, as we just read, man was, was like the, just, a, just a lump of clay until God formed him and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The spirit of God moved into that dirt body and man then became a living soul. And because we came out of God, we also have to remain attached to him in order to live. That's why God told Adam, the day that you eat from this forbidden fruit, you shall surely die. And in Genesis chapter 3, that's what Adam and Eve did. And they were separated from God and they began dying. But that's not how the story ends. God made us in his own image. God is three parts, yet one God. And so you and I, you are one person. Even though you talk to yourself sometimes, you're still one person. And even though you're a different person on tomorrow than you are today, you're still one person. You are one person with three parts. You are a spirit. You are a spirit. Brother Dave, would you stand up, stand right here. I want you to represent spirit. Baby, would you come and stand next to him? I want you to represent the soul. You are a spirit that has a soul. Brother Gary, come and stand right here next to my wife. And you represent the body. You are a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. Now your spirit lives eternally. This part of you will never die. This part of you is the part that God communicates to. This is the part of you that God wants to be in relationship with him, to hear his voice, to obey him. That's why Jesus said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is the part of you that when it goes back to the, to the creator, the rest of you dies. This part goes back to the ground, but the spirit is the part of you that God wants to be born again. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night in John chapter 3 and said, Jesus, tell me, how can a man be born again? Does he have to go back into his mother's womb and have another birth date? Because this dirt body right here had a birth date. Jesus says, no, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You must be born again. So God wants this spirit, that part of him that lives forever, to, that part of him that desires to please him, he wants this part to be born again of the spirit. That means that you as one person have to have a realization in your life that I'm a sinner that I need a savior, that I can't save myself. That's why when, when we are separated from God, we die in Genesis chapter 3, but in that same chapter, God made a promise and said, I'm going to send my son. He's going to crush the head of the serpent. He's going to be born of a woman. So when we put our faith and our trust in the Savior, Jesus Christ, we become born again. Now I have the mind of Christ. Now I have the power of God living on the inside of me in my spirit, my human spirit. But you have a soul. The soul is the part of you. It's the fine part of you right here. 
This the part of you that smell good. This the, okay, okay, I'm sorry. This, this is the, the soul represents the emotions, your feelings, your, your intellect, your mind, your personality, your will, your desires, your, your consciousness, the expression of, of, of how people know you to be, whether you're humorous or, or introvert or extrovert, that's the soul. This, this body, this is your earth suit. Some of it is brown, some of it is, is caramel color, some of it is yellow, some of it is reddish in color, some of it is dark brown. You know, there really is nobody that's black. This shirt is black. <laughs> and there really is nobody that's white. We're, we're different shades of color. Some of us are tall and some of us are short and some of us are thin and some of us are not thin. That's the, that's the body. I'm being kind. Amen? Because y'all going to start looking around at people like, that's the body. That's how we, this is what we first see and what we first know of people. This is simply your earth suit. This is just dirt. This is what God breathed in. But when he created man, this is what he created out of himself. And he created a body for the man and he breathed his spirit into man, connecting man to himself. And this became a living soul. Now, God created this part of you to relate and live by the five senses. What you can touch, what you can hear, what you can see, what you can taste, and what you can smell. This part of you likes potato chips, fried chicken, barbecue ribs, some casserole. This is the part of you that you know, it just wants what it wants. It likes to sleep. It likes sex. It likes, you know, it, whatever, it's, whatever it watches, it wants. This is, this is just your human body, your dirt suit. And it came from the dirt. It's going back to the dirt. So when you are absent from the body, when this leaves, goes to, back to the creator, this just goes back to the dirt. In fact, it's wearing dirt right now. It's wearing some black dirt with some gray jean dirt, with some black leather shoe dirt. It all came from the dirt. That's what the clothes that you have on. You look very nice today, but it's just dirt. It's going back to the dirt where it came from. Whatever this part of you receives from your senses, it then transfers it to your soul it, it sees a beautiful fine young woman don't care whether she's married single widow or divorced but you have seen it and it has caused you to feel a certain kind of way <laughs> alright let me change that illustration you have just seen a porterhouse steak and you desire it to cut it and put some some sauce on it and to eat it you want it senses now it is expressed that okay now y'all you can transfer that to your soul because now your soul feels a certain kind of way your emotions are stirred your will is stirred now will I have one or will I have two now you got you got a choice to make and whatever the soul receives from the body 
it then transfers to the spirit. Now, if your soul, if your body receives a message because it hears, you are a loser, you are no good, you're just like your daddy, your daddy wasn't nothing, you're not going to be anything, that body transfers that message and it hurts to the soul. Now the soul is crushed, the soul is wounded, and the soul then transfers that message to the spirit, and the spirit which communes with God, God speaks to the spirit and it tells the spirit, you are my beloved. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are my favorite child. And the spirit is going to evaluate the message that it's received from the soul, which got it from the body. It's going to evaluate it according to the truth of the word of God. Because the spirit is kind of like a, like a bank teller. Bank tellers are taught to evaluate currency. They, they, they don't look for... Uh, counterfeit money they have been trained to look at real money and anything that don't look like or feel like real money automatically an alarm goes off and say wait a minute this does not compute this must be counterfeit this is not the real stuff this is not the truth that we have been trained to touch to know how it feels and it sends a message back to the soul and say that's 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 not true that's a lie and the soul then now sends the message back to the body and say, you know what, you don't need to feel that way. But the body doesn't always want to do what the spirit tells it to do. The spirit is willing, it's the flesh that's weak. Give them a hand as they go back to their seats. So you see how you are one person, but three parts. You're made in the image of God. The part of us that is most important, of course, is the spirit, because that's the part that must be born again. But the part of us that experiences the attacks of Satan is your soul. He's not interested in your body. He's interested in your soul. Because the body is going to transfer messages to the soul, and the soul is going to try to attach that to the spirit. That's why... One, one uh, author said that we deal with the battlefield of the mind. That's the soulish part of you. That's the place of warfare. That's the place of your conscience. That's the place of your personality. That's why people think you're two people when you're really only one. <laughs> because the attack is happening in your soul. The attack is happening in your mind. It's happening in your emotions. And you're sometimes up and sometimes down. And people don't know how to try, quite approach you. Because the soul is that middleman, that mediator, that messenger, that mail carrier, that feeder to either the body or to the spirit. And whichever one you feed the most is going to determine your destiny. It, and, and Paul's letter to the Roman church in Romans chapter 7, Paul described this battle that he was in. And verse 14, he says, we know that the law is spiritual, but... I am unspiritual. I'm sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate, that's what I do. I'm in Romans chapter 7, verse 16. He said, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who does it, but it's sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. 
for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who does it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work within me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And Paul throws his hands up and says, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to, the, to God's law, but in my sinful nature I'm a slave to the law of sin. In chapter 8, Paul goes on to encourage us to live and shows us how to live a life of freedom and victory, a life that's truly pleasing to God. In chapter 8, verse 4, he says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You remember that flesh over here? We don't live according to what it tells us to do, but we live according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds, the soul, is set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. And let me take you again to Paul's writing to the church in Galatia. In chapter 5, he says, So I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Amen, baby. She felt the spirit. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Those who have had their spirit saved belong to Christ and have crucified the flesh. The, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you experience the first baptism. It's a baptism into the family and into the kingdom of God. God takes your spirit, man, and he places it in his family. Your name is transferred. It's written in his book of life. Just like you have a spiritual birth certificate, now you have a heavenly one. Just like you have a spiritual day of birth, now you have a spiritual day of birth. You have been placed.
placed and baptized, just like a person is baptized in water, God takes you and he places you in his family. It's the first baptism. And now because you belong to Christ, you can, in obedience to Jesus, you can experience the second baptism, which is the baptism in water. Everyone who belongs to Christ in the Old Testament the proof of the fact that you belong to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if you were male, is that you were circumcised. Ouch. Yes. What a heavy price <laughs> to belong to Christ as a male. It was a sign on the outer flesh of a man that you belong to God. The sign in the new covenant that we belong to God is not the circumcision of our flesh. It's water baptism. It's a public testimony to the entire world that you belong to God. Just like a, a, a married couple wear wedding rings to symbolize they belong to somebody, when you get baptized, it says, I've experienced that first baptism. I belong to God. And I want my family and my friends, I want the world to know. We got some who are going to be baptized here today. In fact, I encourage you, we, we, we will have spontaneous water baptism at the end of the service. We have towels and clothes and flip-flops and hairnets, whatever you need. If you've already experienced that first baptism or if you want to experience it and become a child of God, you can experience the second one. Now, once you belong to him and experience the second one, it then also makes you eligible for the third baptism, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Water is a symbol in scripture of the Holy Spirit. It is symbolized in many ways in scripture. Let me, let me tell you, before I take you to scripture, let me tell you about water in the natural. Your human body as an adult, up to 60% of your human body is water. The brain and the heart are composed of 73% water. The lungs are 83% water. Your skin contains 64% water. Your muscles and your kidneys are 79% water. And even your bones are 31% water. I, I, I made an observation of why we love babies so much. The percentage of water in infants is much higher than it is in adults. Babies are anywhere between 75 and 78% water. That's why we love to hug them, squeeze them, kiss them, and pinch those cheeks. Because there's nothing but mostly water. But by the age of one, their water content drops down to about 65% until they become adults like you and I, and they start drying out. That's my theory of why we like babies. There are benefits of drinking water. Water lubricates the joints. It helps to form saliva and mucus in the body. It delivers oxygen throughout the body. The blood is more than 90% water, and blood carries oxygen to different parts of the body. Water boosts your skin health and your beauty. Water cushions the brain, the spinal cord, and other sensitive tissues. Water regulates body temperature. It's, it helps with the digestive system. Ooh, let me stop right there. So in the natural, water helps with constipation. The more water you drink, the smoother and the easier your bowel movements will be. I know this is Sunday morning, but uh, that's not a picture you necessarily want to have on Father's Day, but it helps 
To be constipated probably means that you are dehydrated. And I want to just make an observation that so in the natural, also in the spirit. Some of you all are spiritually constipated. You are plugged up, stopped up, backed up, and you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to saturate your life. Water helps with blood pressure. Water helps the airways. Water helps with mineral and nutrient accessibility. It prevents kidney damage. It boosts exercise performance. It can help with weight loss. And for those of you who are still pouring some out for the brothers who aren't here, it can reduce the chance of a hangover. (laughs) Water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. That third baptism that I talk about, Jesus clarified it in John's gospel, chapter 7, verse 37. On the last and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, come on, that's that first baptism. (laughs) I believe in you, Lord. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I put my faith and my trust in you. I believe that you came and took my place on the cross. Boom, I'm saved. I'm baptized in the family of God. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Ooh, this is clear. We are a people of the Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, the church was born. It was born in the promise of Jesus who said to his disciples in one of his last sayings in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, you are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. But I want you to stay here in Jerusalem until you receive that promise of the Father. Until you receive that third baptism. We were born to be a people who are saturated constantly by the presence, by the Spirit of God. And so what does it mean to be a Pentecostal? It means that we believe that the book of Acts is really the actions or the acts of the Holy Spirit moving in those early church believers. And it means that we expect that to be the pattern of our personal and our corporate lives, not just within the walls of the church, but even outside the walls of the church. It means that we believe that when we're born again, experience that first baptism, follow it by the second baptism in water, that we as a believer in Jesus Christ, we can ask the Father to give us that third baptism, which is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's when God literally takes all of you and he baptizes it in the Spirit. He immerses it and saturates it in the third person of who he is, the Holy Spirit. I believe that God is calling us to join those disciples, that 120 who were in the upper room. Let me take you to Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, and it filled the house, the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, 
All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. They were there for the festival. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we heard them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Watch out for those Pentecostals, those tongue talkers. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I'm saying. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. We believe that this is the Father's promise. We believe that this is what Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being, there will flow rivers of living water. If you, belong, if you believe in him, you belong to him, and if you belong to him, you have a right as his child to ask your father for this promise. Again, to be totally immersed and saturated in his presence, every fiber of your body, your soul, and your spirit. I know there are a lot of good believers, brothers and sisters in following Jesus Christ that disagree with me or disagree with Pentecostals and who do not speak in tongues. But this is not a debate. It's not a point of debate. It's not a competition either that if you speak in tongues that you have somehow uh, achieved an elite status where you become a super Christian and others don't. It's not about that. But it is simply about aligning yourself with the will and the power of God that he's made available to every believer. I would much rather have all that God has for me than live with a just enough salvation. To be Pentecostal means that we are a people who want more. We want everything that God has. And so I urge you, don't stop short of the promise of God. The way that you got saved, you didn't work for it, you didn't earn it, you couldn't be good enough, you simply had belief and you received. Faith by grace has saved you. The way that you receive that third baptism is the same way. You can't earn it, you can't be good enough, you simply have to have faith to believe that this is a gift that the Father wants to give his children and the same way you believe for salvation, you believe for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And you ask him and you receive. Then you'll join those believers in the upper room. In Acts chapter 10, Peter had an issue with race. 
he had an issue with Gentiles. He believed that Gentiles were unclean. They were unworthy. He was such a devout Jew that he, re, he even called them unclean until God gave him a vision and a revelation of certain types of unclean Jewish food. And God said, rise, Peter, it's time to eat. I mean, there was barbecue ribs, there was bacon, there was chocolate-covered bacon, there was, you know, ham and cheese. And he's like, Peter, get up and eat. He said, no, Lord, those are unclean animals. I will never eat that. And God said, you will not call unclean what I have called cleaned. And that very moment, there was a knock on the door at the house where Peter was staying. And it was men who were sent from Cornelius' house, who was a Gentile, who had prayers going up to God. He had a belief in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he didn't have a full understanding. He didn't have baptism of water. He didn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But they told Peter, he said, our, our master has sent us to this house because he had a vision from God. And they said, you need to come with us. The next morning, Peter got up and went with them, took his bigoted, prejudiced self all the way to Cornelius' house. And all the while, God was stripping him of what he thought in his mind was right. When he got to, P to Cornelius' house, he said, I now see what God has been trying to tell me, that he is no respecter of persons. I have been wrong. And Peter began preaching unto them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while he began preaching, the Holy Spirit fell in Cornelius' house, and those Gentiles began to speak in tongues just like the Jews did on the day of Pentecost. Peter then realized that the Spirit of God is not just for the Jews, but it's for everybody who believes. And Peter said, what does stop these men from also being baptized in water? The first step is that you need to be baptized in the family and the kingdom of God. You need to be saved. Then whichever order God chooses you to go in, whether you get baptized in water next or you get baptized in the Holy Spirit like they did at Cornelius' house, that's between you and God. The number one prerequisite is that you were saved. Later on in Paul's ministry, in Acts chapter 19, Paul came to the city of Ephesus and he found some believers there who had been saved. Baptism number one. They had been baptized in water according to John's gospel. A gospel of repentance. If you repent of your sin... John said, the fruit of it, the testimony of it is that you're baptized in water. And Peter, Paul came to them and said, men, have you received the Holy Spirit since you first believed? And the men at Ephesus said, we've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Nobody has told us about this. We want more. We've been living with, with two baptisms. You mean there's more? And Paul laid his hands upon them, and they received the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues. I think God is saying to us men he's created us to be men of the spirit men of the spirit want more and I'm going to tell you why we need to be men of the spirit because every time I turn the news on I see problem after problem after problem in the world problem after problem in our nation problem after problem in our own state problem after problem in this city problem after problem in every community in this city if it's not opiate addiction or heroin addiction, it's human trafficking, it's war, it, it's bullying, it's gang violence, it's, it's, it's divorce. It's, I come on, there's all kind of issues that will never be solved by human intellect alone. They will never be resolved by the, the, the finances of Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. If they could have been, they already would have been. 
There, there's not enough intellect in the mind of man. There's not enough power. There's not enough money to deal with the problems of our world and of our society and even the stuff that you've got going on in your own family and in your own life, in your own school and in your own workplace. It will require men of the spirit, men who have been totally saturated, spirit, soul, and body in the presence of the third person of the triune God, the blessed Holy Spirit. God is looking for men of the Spirit. He's always been looking for men of the Spirit. That's why Adam was nothing until he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and Adam became a living soul because he needed to have an encounter with the God of heaven and earth. When the Spirit of God came upon Samson, the Bible says that Samson became a new person. He killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. When the Spirit of God came upon King Saul, this natural, normal, shy, fearful man, the Bible says he became a new man and he began to prophesy. The gifts of the Spirit began to be stirred up on the inside of him. So much so that the people were confused and said, wait a minute, is this still our king or is this one of the prophets? It changed him from the inside out. Just like on the day of Pentecost, are these men drunk? There's something different about them. When the world was dealing with the famine of food and water in the days of Pharaoh of Egypt and an entire generation could have been wiped out unless there had been a Joseph who was full of the Spirit of God, who had an ability to tap into the dreams and the mind and the wisdom of God. And Pharaoh said, can we not find a better one than this to appoint second in command underneath me? Even Pharaoh knew that he needed a man of the Spirit. In Daniel's day, when the king was troubled by a dream and he was going to kill all of his wise men, all of his, his presidents and vice presidents and satraps and all of those others who were, who were positioned to advise him, Daniel said, wait a minute, king, don't, don't move so fast. Give me and my friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just a few days to go and pray and seek the face of God and we'll come back with an answer. Because we serve a God who speaks. We serve a God who's real. We serve a God who's alive. And Daniel came back and he interpreted the king's dream. And the king said, there truly is a God because I see him in you. There are kings and there are priests and there are teachers and there are educators and there are pastors and there are your neighbors. There are people in your school, classmates and co-workers that are just hoping that you are a person of the spirit. Not just like everybody else walking around in the natural, living by their five senses. See, we got too many people who we have elected and we have promoted and we have hired. And the best that they can give us is their sight, their, their smell, their taste, their hearing, and their ability to touch. That's the best they can give us. But I'm going to let you know, brothers, you men, you, you, you fathers... If you're looking for a good woman, she's looking for a man of the spirit. Am I right about it, ladies? They're looking for a man of the spirit. They're looking for a man who can tap into the realm, the unseen realm of heaven. The world is looking for people of the spirit. In Acts chapter 6, when there was a problem in the early church that couldn't be solved... As the church was growing and people were getting saved and baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit, the church began to grow and, and the needs of the, of the widows just exploded. 
they gave out some kind of a, a donation program to the widows, but the widows who spoke Greek were being neglected. They weren't getting quite enough uh, as much as the Hebrew-speaking women. And so this division occurred in the church, and it, was, it had a threat to split the church. The murmuring began to, to spread throughout the church. And it was the apostles, these men of the Spirit, that tapped into the wisdom of God and said, Listen, our priority has to continue to be the word and prayer. And we're not going to leave these priorities. Natural person would probably say, well, I guess, I guess we're not supposed to pray anymore. Let's go ahead and meet these needs. No, they were tapped into the wisdom of God. They told the church, it says, you choose seven men from among you. Not just ordinary men. Not men who can just think. Not just men who are strong. Not just men who have a lot of money and men who are good orators. No, they got to be men who are full of the Spirit full of wisdom, full of faith, and have a good report. Appoint them, and we will lay hands upon them. You know what the result was? The church continued to grow and explode. God is looking for a few good men, just like Uncle Sam. He's not the only one looking for a few men. God is looking for a few good men. He's looking for some men, some ordinary men, that he can transform and make you men of the Spirit. He's looking for you. Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? I'm not through with you. You might have fallen, but you can get back up. I want to fill you with my spirit. I want to give you revelation. I want to give you the gifts of the spirit. I want to give you the fruit of the spirit. I want you to be led by the spirit. I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to have a prayer language, not just in English or Spanish or whatever your native tongue is, but I want to give you a heavenly language where you begin to pray to me in a tongue that you haven't even gone to school for. But when you pray, you are praying the wisdom and the mysteries of God. It's the perfect prayer because it's a spirit praying through you. Not using your mind and your intellect and your soul, but it's the spirit using your human spirit to pray through your mouth. And it's a powerful prayer. I wonder, do we have any candidates to be men of the spirit here? Just bow your heads with me for a moment. I want to I wanna give us some direction. First of all, if, you, if you've never yet been born again, I know you got a natural birth date, and one day your body's going to die, but do you have a spiritual birth date? Was there a day and a time and a moment in your life in which you realized that you were a sinner and you needed a Savior? I remember mine, October 4th, 1979, in my very living room. I prayed and I said, Lord, I'm a sinner. Please save me. You need a, you need a born-again experience. If you've never been born again right now, I want to lead you in a prayer to give your life to Christ. And for some of you, you might have been born again, but you, you've drifted away. It's been, it's been so long that you've been in the place where God wants you to be. And remember, when we separate from God, we start dying. That's the first prayer I want to pray. For those of you who want to confess and, and, and come back to the Lord or come to God for the very first time. And so on the count of three, if that's you, I want you to stand on your feet. I want to pray for you. Boldly identify. I want to, I want to be saved. One, two, three. Right now, all over the sanctuary, men or women, you can stand. You can be born into this family, into the kingdom of God. God bless you for standing. Come on. He's called us to be a people of the spirit, men or women. All over this sanctuary. Some of you 
who are in this place, you know you're not in the place with God where you should be. I challenge you to come back to God right now. You need to stand with those who are standing. If you know that you are not where you should be, come back into a position with God. I'm going to pray in just a moment for those who are standing and those who are standing, and even those of you who are sitting who are already saved, if you've not yet been baptized in water, we would love to baptize you in this water in the next five, ten minutes. Those of you who are standing, I want to just invite you, just lift your hand to the Lord as a sign of your surrender. And pray this prayer after me, Lord Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I ask you to forgive me come into my life live your life through me thank you for placing me into your family and transferring me into your kingdom I make you my king the leader and the Lord of my life from this day forward in Jesus name Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light life and love of Jesus Christ as a part of this mission join us for special services workshops and encounters Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.